You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's show I'm talking to three fantastic chefs and a head butler. First up we hear from Donegal's chef Brian McDermott who recently visited my hometown of Newcastle West in County Limerick. Then we're off to Galway to meet the San Pellegrino, UK and Ireland Young Chef of the Year, Killian Crowley, who's off to represent Ireland and the UK in the final in Milan next year. And then at the end of the show, we enjoy a visit to Ballyfin de Main in County Leash, which was named Best Hotel in the World by Condé Nast last year and we'll meet their head chef, Sam Moody, and head butler, Lionel. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. So to start the show off tonight, we're staying in my hometown where I recently met Chef Brian McDermott for a coffee when he was in the area. Brian is from Donegal and is well known for his TV and radio appearances and is a regular at many of the country's finest food festivals. Let's have a listen to our chat. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Brian, you're very welcome to Newcastle West. You must tell us why you're in West Limerick. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me um, to come here today and have a coffee with you, Sharon. Um, you've shown me around here, even though you're not from here. You so you know so much about this town and the history um, with your food tours you've been telling me. So I'm here today because we're doing a cookery demonstration, and it's a festive demonstration, so I'm going to be doing the whole traditional dinner with all of the trimmings, and, and I love this area anyway. You've come here on a few occasions now. You've been coming to DNM a number of times because of the relationship you've built up with Dermot there. Yeah, I mean, DNM Garden Centre to me is just a lovely family model of a business. Um, and business is business, but to me, you build up relationships, you build up friendships, and that brings loyalty. And for me, that's the reason why I return all the time because, you know, that business has, as like any other one around here and in Ireland, gone through the recessionary times, coming out the other side of it, uh, and now they're moving into new garden centre, bringing in Dermot. Demonstrations, you know. I mean, I've come down for many shown, and um, for one reason and one reason only, to support them in what they're doing. And and as a result of that, there's people who come to the centre, and it's familiar faces that I feel I've got to know in the area now as well. And up in show when you're flat out as well because you have a cookery school there, you're managing one of the centres of excellence for the college. You're a busy man, Brian. Yeah, I think I like to keep busy um, and I never apologise for it because I mean, I only have to go back seven years ago um, and not in a morbid way, but I mean, as a chef, I, I took very unwell. And then making that transition and changing it, for me, you're starting in rural Inishon and to build a brand, particularly in food, and get yourself known for what you do. And I mean, all we do is cook. We take damn good ingredients, great produce. That's where the hard work starts. Usually we, we add common sense, a bit of heat to achieve something. So for me to do that, to take it from a rural setting of Inishon and to message that right around the country, I'm quite proud. And yes, I'm busy, but I love it. Tell me more about the centre of innovation that you're involved in there. Yeah, that's very, very unique because it's a third level college at the Northwest Regional College and it's a food innovation centre. So we're a centre, take a food idea, somebody that has one as a hobbyist or they're established or they're at a local market like we are here at Newcastle West at the moment um, and you're looking at produce, they're wondering can they ever get it to a retail setting, you know, with all the legislative information, the shelf life analysis, the nutritional, normally what challenges they face because of lack of skills, that's 
where we kick in. We look at the packaging, the perception, the brand versus the product name. Basically, a handheld service that takes them from that prototype development right through to the marketplace and a product launch. And one business that you have been involved in was the brewery there in Derry that I had the pleasure mm. of visiting earlier on this year. It really is an incredible operation. Yeah, I mean, the Wall City Brewery, because of the historicness of it, immediately it was a great story. Um, so, again, that was a conversation that started on the street by, by a young brewer who used to work with the master brewer, um, and that's James Huey, and he wanted to open a brewery that was a working restaurant. So we did a lot of work around the development of the beers. And, and recently, I'm not sure, I'm sure if you're aware of this, but we brought a, a recipe back from the time of the siege of Derry, 1689. So it was a recipe that had 72 ingredients. So my job was to research that original recipe. I had no benchmark. And what I discovered was 32 of those 72 ingredients are extinct or banned by the World Health Organization. So the more, I mean, it took a year of research into this. And the more we looked at it, we realized that it, it wasn't a beer at all. It was like numbing them to go out and fight in the siege of Derry. So for us to replicate that with the modern tastes of today and to bring it back to the market was challenging, but really exciting now because we've put it back in the original bottle. It's got a taste that we think resembles, you know, that period. But more importantly, it's now a very sort of both historical and exciting project that tells the history of the siege of Derry. So that's launched at the minute with the Walled City Brewery. And you have very close connections with Derry. You're on the radio regularly there. Yeah, I mean, any show in, uh, in Derry, I feel it, you know, it, thankfully there's no border there currently. God knows what will come in the months ahead. Um, but for me, I've built up um, a good platform there with BBC Radio. So um, like yourself, it's bringing, to me, coming on to radio, I love it. I love talking about what I know because it's my comfort zone. But also I need the, the food stories. I need the producers coming through. So hence the previous conversation about if we can read generate all of those producers it gives an area like Donegal and Derry in that northwest a chance to have a regional food piece so I mean we've taken people who were hobbyists they're now entrepreneurs employing people and we've worked with 140 businesses so if I can share those stories right through to a platform like BBC that's a great launch pad for the producers and that's me you know you don't be selfish when you go on radio or television you tell a story of the producers you know it's their food it's their story it's their risk they're the ones getting up in the middle of the night or the fishermen where i am in Greencastle. so i think you've got to admire that and then bring all of it together and present it like you do to a radio listenership piece and people feel it people get a story and they hear it and that was challenging for me because how do you get recipes to work on radio it took me a while to get my head around that because what i can see is quite visually strong all of a sudden i've got to try and animate and put that through an audio listenership with no visual so um, exciting very exciting and from one end of the country to another from radio up there in the northwest down to RTE Cork to the the TV show with Dahi and Mora in the afternoon yeah I, I mean I never take any of that for granted um, I feel very modest about it because this is my fifth year on the Today Show um, with Dahi and Mara and I mean I've struck up a fantastic relationship with the entire crew down there um, and again it's, it's a lovely platform and, and all you're doing is cooking you know I think people need to realise that again you're showing the skills that I don't own because I don't own roasting, baking, pan frying we're passed them on through generations so I think I have an obligation to do it and, and if I can do it with my experience which is looking at projects that, that shouldn't in any way be interfered with because less is more and I think that's the era we're in at the moment, we're coming back 
to less is more. So that's the style I use and bring across to, to the television, which is a bit easier than the radio because there's a visual element there as well. So um, like I said, never take it for granted. Love it and feel privileged every day you step foot in television. And next year we have your cookbook to look forward to. So we'll be able to see all those recipes captured in writing and with pictures as well. Yeah, and, and for us as a family, um, because I've had to, to look at that, you know, my girls have been trailed around food festivals. They're here today all over the country. They're, they're, they're more well known in certain areas than what I am, which is great. So they've developed wee entrepreneurial spirits of their own. And, and we've talked about the book, you know, let's, you know, bring that journey, that story together with a hundred recipes. And again, those hundred recipes are looking at what every town, rural village in Ireland can have access to and to bring that together and to show people and teach them how to cook that with good visual presence. So it's launching in early March. Um, the hard work's done. I'm glad to say that because we've done our photography back in August. We've proofread last week. So for us now, we're just waiting on that final hard copy and that excitement with O'Brien's Press and then it'll be all guns blazing to, to launch that and get it out there nationally as well. All glamorous parties with canapes and champagne to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, no, not my style, <laughs> funny enough. Um, for me, I love what I did today with you. Uh, getting to know you, sitting down, having a coffee. We've all got family. We, you know, we've all got, you need, to, if you're going to have a chat with someone, I think, you know, you've got to see past the topic. You know, we're here to do this interview today, but I found out you've got two kids, they're five and they're six. Your husband's from the town. You know, that's important. That's getting to know people for me. And the next time I meet you, I've built upon that because I know a little bit more about you. So I think people by people. I was always taught that. Um, so I've held that within the core value of what I do, whether it's emceeing at festivals or demonstrating or, or on the platforms. If people buy into you, what's coming next in terms of the commercialness, whether that's in a business sense, because the reality is we all need to make money and, and roll our business as well to make that survive so um, I don't think I am the product of the business so again I have the first opportunity look at the packaging the packaging to me is is when I start talking and it's my personality in relating that to a food product so and I think your friend Nevin Maguire would very much agree with that the two of you are very close he has always been a great advocate for you you know I have no problem and I've said this before um, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for Nevin Maguire but we have a relationship that goes back 27 years um, and Nevin um, struck it lucky and then he'll say lucky but also seriously hard work to get to where he is so um, uh, yes we are very very good friends first and foremost but the question I always get asked you know from people is look what is he really like and, and the answer is always the same for me since the day I knew him he's the most consistent person that I know Nevin Maguire at six o'clock in the morning is the same to his family his friends his staff media as he is at 12 o'clock at night there just seems to be a consistent energy about him that you're sucked into you buy but more importantly it's not like you take the energy off him but you thrive off the back of it and he is honestly an all-round gentleman that has just um, been so so good to me in my career yeah he is definitely a fantastic person and very much loved in you know all spheres of life funny you say that because um, we, we sneaked off recently on, on a food trip which we do a few times a year and we went to San Sebastian and I thought oh, for once we can get away here do you know and no one's gonna know now Evan Maguire. Well, I forgot he recorded an RT television show out there. So we're walking down the street, and in the, in the broken Spanish accents, I had Nevin, Nevin, you know. And people are calling him into the restaurants, into the pubs, and I'm like, for a moment, I'm going, my God, we can go nowhere. So his his popularity is actually beyond Ireland. And then as we're walking along the streets in San Sebastian, there's Irish stopping him, and they're saying, Nevin, we're here because you we read your blog and you talk 
talked about this being the culinary capital of the world in terms of San Sebastian. So, um, no, just known everywhere and, and is that gentleman. And on his last trip there, he took his children to a Michelin star restaurant and they behaved impeccably. Where can you get children like that, I wonder? I know, and you know what? I, I, I went to that restaurant with him as well and both of us went there and he was telling me that story because um, he got very friendly, as he does, because people, again, buy into Nevin very, very quickly. So, I mean... Uh, the most Michelin star restaurants per capita exists in San Sebastian. So we're sitting and we're eating in that particular one, Arzac, and it's just amazing because you're expecting a stiffness around a three Michelin star, you know, and the next thing he's in there eating with his kids, you know, and that's just down to the respect that those chefs have for each other and for Nevin. Absolutely amazing. Now, you were talking there about dishes being accessible to all, and one of the things that's very important when you're cooking is to have the right utensils and equipment, and that's something that you're looking at at the moment. Yeah, it's, um, I suppose, I'm always asked, look, in relation to a chopping board for people's homes or knives and pans like that, and if you are going to invest, I mean, what you're investing in, yes, you're investing into a product, but you're investing into the way you prepare your food. So if you're here, you know, where we are today, and you're shopping and you're buying local, and you know there's a story behind the product, don't take it home and sabotage it, you know, in relation to chopping and and wastage. So um, I think it's the feel-good factor of you buying into a really good, solid chopping board, knife are important within a kitchen pan frying with a good pan so we, we've dabbled into it for that very simple reason it is basically just to give people another offering to boost the confidence within their kitchen through product initially then through what they use in terms of the utensils and the book that supports the recipe piece so we've thought this through we've not just said right let's let's get some commercial products and let's see if we can make money it's never about that for me believe it or not it's always about the journey because again like I said earlier I want to be able to meet you here in another six months or a year time find out a little bit more about you or did you try recipes from the book because if I ignore that you're, you're ignoring the rural people of Ireland and, and that's us ourselves and part of your busy 2017 was being out on the road at various food festivals such as Taste of Dublin, Taste of Cavan, Taste of Donegal you'd be there emceeing and, and helping with the cookery demonstrations so next year can we look forward to you being there with your branded products Yes, and, and next year I see is very exciting because uh, of what we mentioned in relation to the book and plus we'll be ramping up some of our media platforms as well um, and sharing out those recipes and yes, we'll have our product range so it's like, you know, to me if, if, if you hear a band, you're going to buy the CD so I always say to people, oh, come out, let's engage, let's chat. And, let, and I would encourage people when they're at the food festivals, you know, the Nevin Maguires, the Rachel Allens, the Kevin Dunn, these people are all very accessible. They're dads, you know, they're husbands. They're, they're, chefs don't have, most of the majority don't have the egos that people believe they have. They're simple people that are just running a business. So get out to the food festivals because to me the food festivals should be about the producers and is starting to be about the producers. And I know with your great work with the Blast and the Heron, you know, that is only lifting the profile of Irish producers in general because as a chef, when we arrive at those festivals, yes, we want the products. Yes, I'll be proud of having my own chopping board range of knives and things, but without products as in the food, the ingredients, the produce, I can't use them or I can't perform to what we do as our skill set. So I've always said that to the public. Go meet the producers first and foremost, taste and buy the products, meet the people behind it, then come up to the chefs and say, look, Nevin, look, Kevin, what can I do with this? You know, give me a couple of ideas. And they will actually enjoy that interaction piece at the, at the events. Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming to see us here in Newcastle West today. I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the time with you and meeting your fantastic family as well. And I wish you all a very happy Christmas. Thank you, Sharon. It's been a pleasure as always.
You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was chatting to Chef Brian McDermott during his recent visit to County Limerick. And if you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, we'll be paying a visit to Ballyfin Domain in County Leash, voted the best hotel in the world by Condé Nast last year. Next, so we're going to Galway to meet the UK and Ireland winner of the San Pellegrino Young Chef of the Year competition, chef de partie at the Michelin star and near Killian Crowley. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Killian, congratulations on your win. In London, you are the San Pellegrino Young Chef of the Year for the UK and Ireland and you'll go to Milan then next year in May or June next year to represent the UK and Ireland. A huge achievement. Yeah, it's it's big but um, there's loads of work to go through now again. Well, let's go back to when you were 15 because that's when this culinary career all started and you grew up in Belgium. Yeah, so born and raised in Belgium and a little bit in France as well. And so 15 years old, I started uh, culinary school uh, for three years and a half, yeah. And then out of the 18, started work straight away. And where did you start work then? What restaurant was it? Um, that was the Chateau of Boglinster. It's the, it's a one mission star restaurant now um, in Luxembourg, in the countryside in Luxembourg. It's a beautiful place. So you you started the career in a very high end restaurant and you kept moving to other high end ones like you spent some time in Monaco. Yeah, in yeah, so exactly. Uh that was kind of one of my dreams to work down there and I had the opportunity to go down there in the Louis Gans and I I just uh I just took it. <laughs> and how long were you there? I was there for a season. A whole season after they were closing for winter. Uh, so it's around six months and it's really intense, really, really intense. What do you mean by intense? Really hard work intense or very intense mentally as well as physically? It's it's long hour, it's a long day of work, um, but it's intense because you have a lot of uh, pressure for precision being like you have the best product, you, you have to be careful for everything you do, you, but you have to learn at the same time. So. But it's a really, really good experience. You you just uh, change change it all. And you came to Ireland then two years ago. What brought you to Ireland? So I never lived in Ireland ever. And obviously my name is Gillian Crowley. So it's, it's pretty much the area, I guess. So I came over in Ireland because I've never been in Ireland before. As I've been in Ireland before, but not, never lived in Ireland. I want to see uh, how how it goes here. How What about food and... What about the produce producers? And obviously, I heard about JP before, like four years ago, maybe six years ago now, and in an year. And then I came over in September with my dad, and just in Galway, and I seen that you have uh, an year was there, and I was like, well, they're doing something there, and I wanted to see it, and I was like, why not try in there? 
as a start in Ireland. And so far, I'm still there. So, What was your perception of Irish cuisine before you actually came to Ireland or before you started researching restaurants to, to work in in Ireland? Uh, in fairness, I had no idea what's going on in food in Ireland. Um, I didn't know anything. I, like, yeah, never heard about any Irish chefs. Um, so when you're in France and Belgium, you're more oriented by the Netherlands, obviously France itself. Not much by UK and Ireland. So even chefs here in UK, I didn't know about. I didn't know about them. So it was really, really interesting when I came over. I was like, okay, it's all all new chefs. Uh, big picture is working on, on an island. Uh, new people, new language. Everything was new for me, so it was a really, really good, uh, good start. And is your father a good cook? Or where does your culinary skills come from? Have you inherited so, them from a parent or a grandparent? So my father is really Irish, so he's a, he loves a boiled spud and... I like the way you say spud there. Yeah, he loves <laughs> boiled spud and thick piece and well-cooked meat. But, um, so my uncle on my mother's side is a chef. And since I'm a kid, I know him as a... He was a really good chef in Luxembourg as well. And I was... That might be really, really interesting. And since I'm four years old, I wanted to do, I wanted to cook. So because I've been raised, I always had good food at home. Always, and my grandfather had a garden. Uh, so yeah, it's just, uh, just natural. So he was kind of your inspiration growing up, and that led you into the the career as a chef. Yeah, it's just food itself. I like to be at the table and sitting and having food and the. That'll be one of the main things I'll be doing if I go back to Belgium is with my friends and we'll be sitting around the table and having food and that's all I'm asking. If I go on holidays, all I'm asking is for food. It's not it's not the best spot or whatever. I need to be surrounded with good people around the table. That That's what I really love. And since since always, I can remember. So so it's, for me, it's very important. I've never been... I don't think I've been really inspired by by people or family or... It's just, just I like it. That's it. It's just I, I just love it. And the sense of occasion that goes with it. Yeah, exactly. It's that's that's what it is. I think it's a really simple pleasure um, that everybody can afford and can do. And you don't need to be a great chef, or you just sit at a table, have food, and chat and laugh. Or sometimes you don't laugh, but at least you you do something of your day, and you you had a meal you can remember, or you don't doesn't really matter but at least you sit down and you you have uh, you have something you know i get a great sense of passion from you there that you nearly find it difficult to put it into words and articulate it because it is something that you feel very much yeah so for me it's really important when the food is at the table i like to everybody was sitting down it's 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 a big thing for me it's nearly sometimes nervous i just go please can everybody sit and we have food now because the food's going down or it's not about how to be precise because I love I like we don't find anything in the near, and it, and it's great and I love it, but what we do what what I do outside work is more comfort food and it's even more enjoyable because you don't have that sense of precision. It's just pure gourmandise. You 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 just having food and it's really simple. It's yeah I think it's it's such a pleasure and and so simple as well. That's what I love in cooking. 
Well, let's talk about the competition. And you had to make your signature dish, and that was based on the competition's five golden rules, ingredients, skill, genius, beauty, and message. So did you have a name for your dish? Yeah, the name is very simple. It's the ingredients. So the name is a turbot. Uh, kohlrabi and sea parsley. Explain what kohlrabi is because not everybody might be familiar with that. It's a type of cabbage. So turbot with kohlrabi. Yeah. And what was the other thing? Sea parsley, which is a wild sea vegetable grows on the seashore. So to source that for the competition, did you have to take it with you or get it shipped over? Yeah, exactly. So all the product, all of them, I shipped them over uh, because I want, them, I want them to taste what's the West of Ireland taste like which is really hard to show to London and to bring interest into as well because if you don't have the right product and you have to 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 make them taste the West of Ireland and it's not from the West of Ireland, that doesn't work. So the Wild Atlantic Way was huge inspiration for your dish? Yeah, the West of Ireland, the Wild Atlantic Way, based on the seashore, we're an island, you know, you have all those sea vegetables, the seaweed, that's what we do as well in an year, it's, it's based on local and sourced uh, produce it's really important for me it's really important and the the panel of judges then very distinguished chefs some of your idols in there possibly they're impressive chefs they have like uh, some uh, se- serious work done already and it's, it's for us a, a big inspiration to look to look at them and said okay maybe one day I might reach that goal maybe never I don't know but I'm working towards that that's for sure and your mentor then was one of the judges. Your mentor moving forward is Angela Hartnett. Yeah. And she was one of the judges over in London. And now she'll mentor you and perfect the dish. Now, I do believe she said you don't really need to do that much to it, maybe a few tweaks. But she'll work with you between now and the final in Milan next year. Uh, yeah. So we, we have to meet in London and that's gonna be that's gonna be a great time. You know, it's it's just working with another chef again, and and you have their point of view and the, their experience, and like they're they're a really famous chef, and usually when they say something, it's always an advice, constructive. You know, and they're they actually really love the dish as well, so it's really interesting. You know, so we'll we'll see how it goes, and I uh, hope it's gonna sort of uh, it's gonna be way better. I'm, I've no doubt now that there's probably very little room for improvement in it, given that J.P. McMahon that you mentioned before, J.P., the Michelin star chef from Anir, he worked with you a lot to get this dish to where it was at the final over in London. Yeah, so we've been like I've been practicing a lot, and J.P. was like uh, always a good advice and tasting. He has been a judge as well last year. Yeah, he has the experience of. Of how to how to talk to people, obviously, because he's really good at it, and uh, how to present yourself, how to explain what to go straight to the point and in a really short amount of time, not being stressed. All those advice because he's he's using them all the time. Like we do, talk to the customer in an ear, and that's that's really helpful. You know, you're not behind the scene all the time anymore as a chef, and like obviously I'm a chef and I'm doing a bit of radio there, so it's it proved itself. Uh, so once you're there in front of the judges, you need to stand straight, have your uh, idea really clear, and then explain what you do and why you do it and where is that from. And obviously, when you have to talk with about West of Ireland, you have a lot to say. 
but uh, and then you have to translate it in food. It's it's just uh, just amazing. And that's another set of skills in itself because not everybody feels comfortable standing up in front of an audience and talking about what they're going to cook. Some people just want to get down to the nitty gritty and cook. Uh, yeah, but it helps, you know. You, you, when you cook, you, I, I believe that you have a message. And, and like, like for me, it's really... So being a good chef, it's, it's great. But when, when, once you have a message and you can, you can give it to other people... It's like teaching. It's it's really important. It's for me the hardest part of cooking because once you have your technique, it's great. But if you can pass it to someone else, it's even better because your technique is going to be timeless because it keeps passing on and passing on. It's like a message, an idea or anything else. And I, I believe that's really, really important that you can, uh, I'm, like, I'm practicing, I'm still practicing to talk to people. It's, it's not easy every day. Whenever you're practicing your dish, I would imagine that you have a queue of people willing to taste it and try it out. Yeah, yeah. So I've uh, even the guys in the kitchen are like, yeah, "Do you mind if I uh, have a taste or uh, take a picture?" And like uh, for me, obviously, yeah, of course, I need to know. I don't like um, every advice is is really good. So it's if JP says to me, "Yeah, you might need to do this like that," I'm definitely gonna follow him. But if somebody else tastes the dish and said, oh, I, I don't know what to think about this, it doesn't need to be a big chef or famous chef. or It's, it's something, you know, it, people have to like it. So You appreciate all feedback as long as it's constructive. Yeah, of course, yeah. Like, uh, like you never know, you know. It's, it's just cooking. At the end of the day, it's only a bit of cooking, so you don't have to get upset or mad about whatever uh, feedback's now moving forward into the future obviously you've the final in Milan next year and Mark Moriarty won it two years ago and he is Irish have you spoken to him for any tips or advice yeah hopefully I'm going to meet him in, when he's coming back in Ireland he, he said he'd, he'd let me know um, he's in Australia working at the moment yeah yeah he's far he's far away so of course yeah I hope I can we can make it and have a quick chat and every advice are good you know it's like uh, he has the experience so people with experience are always more interesting what do you see as the advantages and the benefits of chefs entering a competition like this so i i think it's really good if you if you want to put yourself out there and it's it's good for young irish chefs like the first year of sandberg you know mark moriarty won it and he obviously won the whole thing um, but the second year we had two Irish chefs at the competition and that's the third year and we were three Irish chefs and two on the podium and the two first uh, and the two first in the podium that's that's great I think it's it's really good for, for Ireland it's good for Irish chef young chef they're great chef out there and they need to put themselves out there as well um, it's not for everybody but at least we know that Ireland is there for the future of food and it's very very important yeah, and we should say that Michael Tweedy from the Oak Room in Adair Manor, he is your runner-up. Yeah, and he's a brilliant chef. Like uh, we had, a, we had a good time there, and his dish was was stunning. I was really scared, in fairness, not gonna lie. But uh, I tasted his dish; and it was beautiful, uh, beautiful lobster dish. And I was actually, yeah, really scared when I seen that. He dish was your main competition. Yeah, and uh, I was really happy when I heard that Michael Tweedy was second runner-up. <laughs> I felt really safe, but uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. And then third was a chef from Clayton Hotel at Dublin Airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
uh, Rommel, a uh, great guy. We, we traveled together and super nice guy. He did it twice. He was actually the last year as well. And uh, he's just great people, you know. That's that's what you think as well. A competition, you, it's, it, it could be scary, but actually you, you can meet a lot of people. Your networking grows and, and it's very important because now you have name from Michael Tweedy or Rommel in Dublin. It's really important. Yeah, it's a great way to meet new people, as you say, and to network, and you never know what opportunities and doors that might open down the line. Yeah, exactly. And then you just uh, share everything. You know, it's we, we're a small country, and I think sharing is caring. So. Moving forward then into the future, where do you see your career in the next 10 years? Say, where would you like to be? Is it your own restaurant? Is it working in a particular restaurant? So uh, I'd love to open my own restaurant. And I love to open it in Connemara because I just, uh, I just love this place. It's it's just stunning, you know. Every day is, it's a new day. It's just, it's just I just love the place. But um, yeah. well, it's so nice to hear that you have a great affection for Ireland, given that you didn't grow up here. Yeah, it's it's I I believe that's even easier. Like uh, if my dad comes back here and you go, oh, Jesus, it's actually it's been out of the country now for the past twenty. 28 years and each time he comes back for a couple of days he's like oh, that's really beautiful here and I was like yeah you, you might as well come back he's like yeah um, maybe not but uh, and is it Connemara that he's from originally? no he's from Cork uh, but uh, but I love this place here it's just it's just stunning every day people are great like, I love the people like when you grow up in in, uh, in Belgium in France the people are really different you know you're Central Europe it's just going so fast and so quick and people don't take the time you can see here and all my friends keep saying that when they come over they, they're like Jesus how like people having their life a proper life you know it's very important it's great uh, it's great to work and it's great to be good at work but if you don't have a life or whatever time to enjoy it there's no point to do it well, it sounds like you have a very wise head on very young shoulders there talking about work-life balance at such a young age. We wish you all the best now in the final next year and congratulations again on winning the UK and Ireland heat and thanks so much for talking to me about it today. Thanks very much for coming. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to Killian Crowley, the San Pellegrino Young Chef of the Year in the UK and Ireland. And we wish him the very best in Milan next year. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. So finally tonight, we're off to the magnificent Ballyfin Domain in County Leash. I was there a few weeks ago and got the opportunity to talk to their head butler, Lionel, and chef, Sam Moody. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Lionel, we're here in the gold room in Ballyfin Domain, one of the most exquisite rooms in the house. It was restored in 2011, but there's loads of history that dates back to which year? Well, the history of Ballyfin goes right back to the mid-17th century when the piece of land was first given to the Paul family by Cromwell. Uh, 
a total of just under 4,000 acres, and they walled in Ballyfin on 400 acres. They built a fine house here, not this particular house. The older house was um, smaller and by no means as grand as this particular house. The family lived here for four generations, right through until 1782, when the last of the Pole family died without an heir. And he had spent the entire family fortune on the landscape of Ballyfin during his tenure. He handed it down to the Wellesley family, who lived here for 30 years, and they further sold Ballyfin in 1812 to the Coote family, who built this particular house in 1820. The Coote family built the larger house to demonstrate the wealth of the family, and the gold room that we're in here now was probably one of their greatest demonstrations of wealth. It was decorated to a very high standard with gold leaf on walls and ceilings and mirror frames and... Um, people that would visit this family would instantly realise the wealth of the family and the amount of money it took to build a house just like this. The Coot family lived here for five generations, right through until 1922. Um, having left the house in 1922, they eventually sold it to become a school in 1926, the entire property, which had been enlarged to a square mile during their time, and it ran then as a school for over eight decades. It was, of course, bought by our current owners in 2001, 2002, restored over a nine-year period and opened as a country house in 2011. So that's um, a pretty short version of the history of Ballyfin, if you like. And there's so many stories throughout the years that are very interesting. And one of the things I'd learned was about the lake, that it took 20 years to build the lake at the front of the house. And it was the cause of running out of money, basically. Yeah, it took 20 or or possibly even more than 20 years to build a lake. Very much a man-made feature built on the eastern side of the house here. Um, And, you know, generally grand houses of Ireland were built incorporating a decent water feature, a nice flowing river or a lock area if you had one. If you don't have one, don't worry about it. We'll build you one afterwards. This particular lake at Ballyfin is, and and still is today, the largest man-made pleasure lake in this country, 28 acres in total. And the unique point about this particular lake was there was no actual river to fill it. So they harnessed rainwater off the mountain and they dug a channel four and a half miles long, which the water still runs runs through to this very day. So that was an amazing piece of engineering for the mid-1700s. And it is full of fish at the moment. There is a large number of fish in it, mostly coarse fishing, which would be pike, roach, perch. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure whether Sam uses a huge amount of pike on the on the menu here at Ballyfin, but um, they're certainly down there to be to be fished anyway, and some quite large ones have been caught over the years, you know. And before I ask Sam a bit more about the menus here, I wanted to ask you about this room, the gold room. The tradition, if anybody is familiar with Downton Abbey and, and the way that people dined in the dining room and then the men went into the smoking room and the ladies went into a different room, this is the room that the ladies would have come into after dinner. Apparently so, yeah. There's even quite a feminine touch to the chimney piece and this is a nice east-facing room, so probably the nicest in the morning time when it gets the early sunshine. Um, yes, enjoyed by the ladies apparently in the evening time, and the gentleman would retire to the billiard room for cigars and brandy, I suppose. So Lionel was talking about the river there, Sam, and you're the chef here. You came in 2016 in the autumn, 2016, so you're here just over a year. 
But I don't think you use a lot of the fish in the lake, do you? <laughs> well, no, yeah, I, I mean, I did arrive with quite bold ambitions of catching the fish from the lake and, uh, and putting them on the menu. Um, but alas, the time and my skill in catching fish have uh, sort of let me down. So, so, so far, no lake fish on the, on the menu. Of course, there is the challenge of lake fish tend to taste a little bit muddy. So it, it, it's the balance of, uh, of, of providence versus quality. Well, one of the other things that the families would have built back in the day were the two walled gardens and you would grow a lot of your own produce in them. Uh, yeah, so we're, I mean, I'm very fortunate to be able to work uh, with two huge walled gardens and, and as, as an estate, we're very lucky to have them. Um, and we are almost exclusive with our own vegetables on the, on the dinner menu, which is, is, is amazing. And hens as well. Uh, yeah, we have a little flock of hens that produce our eggs for, for the menu and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. It's very exclusive here, the way guests come and it's full board, basically. They're, they have their breakfast, lunch, if they want to have an afternoon tea, dinner. So whenever it comes to planning menus, what are the biggest challenges that you face? Uh, well, I mean, the biggest challenges, there's a few challenges. I wouldn't say there's big challenges, but the challenges, people are here for three, maybe four, maybe five days. And so it's getting a, a variety of things for people to eat. You don't want to necessarily eat high-end, fine dining, very rich food every night. So it's getting a nice balance across three or four days. And then it's when something's not in the garden, you can't use it. And I think in a modern life, we're so used to just, you know, popping to the shop or I want strawberries, I want... So you put strawberries on the menu. But uh, we have to think a little bit differently and plan a little bit differently. Um, obviously, we still have all of that available for our guests if they want it, but that's not what we're trying to do. You're not from Ballyfin yourself? I'm not, no. Tell us a bit about you and where you come from over in England. Uh, so I grew up in the south of England, um, in Surrey, and uh, I, I've worked all over England and a little bit of Europe throughout my career. I held a Michelin star for five years uh, in my previous uh Previous appointment, yes. And what attracted you to come to Ireland to work at Ballyfin? Well, I mean, I've known Damien, the general manager here, for for several years. um, And, you know, I heard the chef was moving on. I was put in touch with him and I came over and had a look and instantly sort of thought, yeah, this is... This will uh, this will do if you like. It's an amazing property. Like, do you get a vibe about a place whenever you go into it to see if it's somewhere that you would like to work in? Well, yeah, you have. You know, it's such like it takes such dedication from a whole team to be part of something like Ballyfin. It doesn't matter what hotel it is. If, if you're going to operate at the top, it, it takes real dedication. So unless you feel like you're going to become part of that, and it, and it's going to sit right with you, there's there's no point trying. So uh, just because it just won't work. Um, so yeah, you come, you get a sense for it, and you, the gardens, the, the the setup of the hotel, the control you have over the covers we do. It's it just it just seemed right. And you must have a lot then of Irish artisan producers making contact with you that want you to to use their products. Um, yeah, we get a few. I mean, it, it's uh, not not loads to be honest. We'll go out and find people, and and obviously that takes years to build up a supply network, and 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 it's as much. I trust them and they trust me. You know, if I ask for, if I say I'm going to buy clams every week and and the the supplier has to buy them in, especially for me, it's that trust that I am actually going to follow up and take things. Otherwise, you know, it, it, it gets expensive for everybody if you if you don't follow through with it. So uh, it, it it takes a while, but we're we're getting there. And you're open for Christmas. Yep. So do you do anything different or special for Christmas? Uh, so Christmas Day will be the traditional. Uh, in, 
traditional roast and and mince pies and 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 the traditional sort of christmas stuff what do you do for the vegetarians and the vegans do you find you get a lot of those these days we do get a lot but with our garden it's it makes it very simple actually you just pick some beautifully fresh vegetables and and pop them on a plate you know you don't need to do much else when you just pull them out the ground well i have to say i've never been a fan of kale but i had two different kale dishes yesterday and they were fantastic yeah i think liz likes growing kale there's a lot up there so uh, So you have a gardener then that looks after all of that? Yeah, we have uh, five gardeners that look after the look after our vegetables. It's eight acres. It's a, it's a, a big management system. You think we if we use we have to manage what we use very carefully, and and so then the gardeners have to manage what they plant, and there has to be a, it's two way communication. Otherwise, you end up with huge gluts of things you can't use or not enough of what you can use. And I wanted to ask you about your Pity Four because I had a lovely apple jelly. There was a fancy name for it. What was it called? Uh, Pat de Free. Yes. Since, yeah. yeah. And um, the server was telling me that it had been made using apples from your orchard here. Yeah, so, I mean, about three times a year we get a huge glut of, uh, of, of apples, um, three different varieties, and then we... we the early ones will make pat de free with. So you basically chop them up, bring them to the boil, and then add a third sugar to weight and reduce it down to 110 degrees. And they have apple pat de free. Yeah, it was lovely. It's not quite that simple, but <laughs> yeah, I won't try it at home. I don't think it would be as good. No, the, I loved the pity for trolley mm. and the cheese trolley. Tell us about the cheese that's on the trolley. So we, with the, the cheeses come from all across Ireland. We're, we're very strict with only using Irish cheeses and. You know, with the weather and the pasture you have in Ireland, you you, you produce amazing milk. So the the cheeses that, that, that are made over here are fantastic. So, yeah. so moving from England to Ireland, you know, obviously it's a different network of suppliers. I'm sure there's some overlap, but would you be very impressed with the suppliers and I'm, the producers I'm, here? I'm impressed with um, with some of them. What I didn't realise is when you're in England, you you see the amazing Irish produce because Ireland is has an uh, export industry but when you're here it's much harder to get that produce which I find quite bizarre. So what advice would you give to artisan producers that maybe want to be supplying to you here? I just think just focus on one getting one product really really good um, you know it's, it's, it's sort of easy to be a jack of all and supply everything but you know what, what, what's really great is when you get a real niche product and you just focus on on that one product and and and, um, and focus on the quality of it and then the you know then the price comes. So Lionel, we're just hearing there from Sam about all the fantastic produce. And if we go back in time, picnics would have been one of the activities that the ladies of leisure would have enjoyed here, and it's something that you offer to guests. It is indeed. I suppose Sam and uh, the food and beverage staff offer offer a wide range of picnics. You can simply take a picnic basket with your sandwiches and bottle of water or flask of tea. But you can go right from there up to having a table set for you in the picnic house with the fire lit in the stove and uh, silver service through each of your courses and different glasses for each of your wines, if that's what you'd like to have as a, as a picnic. We still call it a picnic, even though it, it seems like silver service. Um, and it, it's um, as available and as well used in the months of November and December as it would be in July or August. So quite similar maybe to what the Coote family would have enjoyed back in the day from that point of view in that they, um, these people like to know how to spoil themselves and 
one thing and another. And there's lots of different little hotspots around the, the domain, like the grotto, for example, and the ice house, all of these different places that they built that had their own functions back in the day. There is. Um, most of, of these particular features are follies of the property, which were pleasure items built between the Paul family era and the Coote family. The tower in particular on top of the hill was uh, built as a famine project to create employment in the 1850s. And um, I have a horse and carriage tour on Ballyfin here and I've dropped many people to the tower for a picnic or up to the picnic house. And um, yeah, it's it's it's... Anywhere that they want to go, they can have these picnics. As part of the restoration, there's an observation tower. There is. Jim and Fred added a piece of glass to the top of the tower that was built in 1850 so that it could be used all year round. Otherwise, you would have no business going up there in the months of October, November or December. Um, But people do. They go up now and on a good clear day, you can see many of the counties of Leinster right from the top of, of the tower, which, of course, for the Coote family was a great boast to be able to see such a vista from their own actual tower, probably explaining to their guests how they owned all the land you could see, which wasn't exactly true, but there you go. And the ice house then, fortunately, Sam has plenty of refrigeration that you just plug into a wall now. But back then, they would have been gathering all the snow and ice during the winter and it was nearly down in a hole in the ground that was covered over. Absolutely. The the one ice house that we have remaining is one of orig- an original four different ice houses. The rest are all gone. The one that's left is the largest of the, of the ice houses, and it was a meat store. It's basically a, a stone tomb built in a woodland area underground. And the ice came off the lake, packed with snow, and then you hung the meat from the ceiling, and that would act as your refrigeration or your freezer. And the other building that I found very striking was the hen house. That's Lady Caroline's Avery, yes, absolutely. It was a peacock garden to um, retain uh, the peacocks in that particular area because they wouldn't necessarily want the peacocks down around the front of house. But peacocks were very much a, a mark of these type of people and their wealth at that particular time. So the cottage itself it was entered by the birds with the small doors underneath the windows and the cottage was as good as any of the workmen's cottages all over the place. Lady Caroline sounds like she was a bit of an Irish Marie Antoinette of her time. You could say that, all right. The the motto that followed the young couple as they grew into their life here in Ballyfin was that Sir Charles had the money and Lady Caroline had the ambition. <laughs> and the ability to spend it all by the signs of it. Absolutely. Now, Sam, I want to ask you about special events because I know you weren't here very long last year when Lands and Larder curated an event for Hermes. Mm-hmm. Which I, I've seen some Instagram photographs for and it looked fantastic. I'm sure Lionel was one of the people with the, the horns and the tail at the time. <laughs> what sort of food did you put on them? Um, crikey, that's taking me back. So uh, we, it, it was a very different uh, different style event. So when they had, they ate in the restaurant and we did the sort of thing we would do normally, the very high end uh, of, of what we would do normally. And then they had... Uh, a picnic, if you like, or a, a, a sort of a warm buffet in the forest in a, this amazing marquee, um, and we did, you know, whole baked pumpkins filled filled with 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 pumpkin, and um, we did lots of salads, warm salads, and they had um, hot chocolate cooked over over a fire, and it was uh, it was very different. But I mean, it, 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 polar opposite to what we would normally do at Valley Vin, but it just worked so well. 
And you're smiling as you're talking about it. So it sounds like it was something you really enjoyed yeah, no, doing. It, it, it was amazing. It was amazing to do. And um, it, it was com- completely different. I've not done something like that. I've done similar things, but nothing like that before. So, yeah, it was uh, it was amazing to do. It was so, uh, so different. Um, I've done similar things, but nothing quite like that. But the logistics of getting hot food from our kitchen out up and into the forest was is what I'm smiling about. It's a, the planning was uh, was interesting. And do you do many special events throughout the year? Maybe not on that level, but do you get special requests regularly? Uh, we may do, I think we do about four or five exclusive uses a year uh, for weddings or birthday parties. Not too many. You know, you, it's, everything's a balance. You can't. You don't want to detract and change the the use of the house too much. You know, the team it, to do a lot of special events. You need a different team. It's it's um, it's it's a very different way of running a hotel. And speaking of teams, Lionel, a number of the team here would have been past pupils from the school and worked on the restoration. Yeah, there is. There's a few guys transitioned from the restoration and some of, of the past pupils that went to school here are still working here. Um, so it's it's been a good mix because some of us that came through from the restoration, to see the house in its absolute sins in the 2004, 2005, 2008 era and then see it return to what it is today and opening as a hotel was, was quite a transformation. And... I think the guests kind of enjoy the fact that some of the the history of the house is built so much around the school life and what what the past pupils remember from school life or what people that worked on the restoration remember the house in its poorer condition and being returned to what it is now and it makes it quite an interesting um, tour of house and, and history. Absolutely, there's a great story to it but there is a great ambiance here as well. The food is absolutely amazing Sam, I really enjoyed the dinner, the breakfast, the lunch, the snacks you'll have to rule me out now in a minute and um, thanks so much for having me, it's been really fantastic talking to both of you to hear a bit more about it and to get a different insight into it from behind the scenes and I wish you both a very, very happy Christmas. Thank you very Thank you. much. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mm. So an absolutely fantastic visit to Ballyfin Domain there and they do vouchers so if you're stuck for gift ideas this Christmas I'm just saying like might be an idea. And that brings us to the end of tonight's programme. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to my guests Brian McDermott, Killian Crowley, Sam Moody and Lionel Chadwick. Until next week when our resident wine guru Ron Forrestal will have vino recommendations for the festive season. Have a great week and bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.